The following bonus episode of the 9pm edict contains strong language, disturbing sexual imagery, and some shouting. Sunday, the 22nd of August, 2021. Technically, this isn't part of the late winter series because there's no special guest and it wasn't scheduled anyway, but here it is. It's the full moon and I'm in a mood. This is the 9pm bonus a robber a worm of despair from scams to Afghanistan. New South Wales, public health, brackets, COVID-19, additional restrictions for Delta outbreak, in brackets, order uh, number two, 2021, under the Public Health Act 2010. I, Brad Hazard, the Minister for Health and Medical Research, make the following order under the Public Health Act 2010, Section 7, dated 20th of August, 2021. Brad Hazard, MP's signature, that's, that's him, I'm not him. Brad Hazard is the person who signed this document. Explanatory note. The object of this order is to repeal and remake the Public Health COVID-19 Additional Restrictions for Delta Outbreak Order 2021, which imposed a number of additional restrictions to address the outbreak of COVID-19 caused by the Delta variant of the virus. Part 1, Preliminary Division 1, Introduction 1.1, Name of Order. This order is the Public Health COVID-19 Additional Restrictions for Delta Outbreak Order Number 2, 2021. 1.2, Commencement. This order commences at the beginning of 21st of August 2021. Division 2, Interpretation. 1.3, Definitions. Uh, Yes. 1.3, Definitions. Brackets 1, the dictionary in Schedule 4 defines words used in this order. Note, the Act and the Interpretation Act 1987 contain definitions and other provisions that affect the interpretation and application of this order. Brackets 2, notes included in this order do not form part of this order. 1.4, meaning of references to types of premises. A reference to a type of premises in this order has the same meaning as it has in the instrument, brackets the standard instrument, set out in the standard instrument, brackets local environmental plans, in brackets order 2006. 1.5, coastal waters to be part of local government areas. For the purposes of this order, the coastal waters of the state are taken to form part of the local government area to which the particular waters are closest. And it goes on, and on, and on, and on for a total of 50 pages. Yesterday, I tweeted a link to that PDF file, the Public Health Order COVID-19 Additional Restrictions for Delta Outbreak Order Number 2, 2021, under the Public Health Act 2010. And I said that for us in New South Wales, that's a thing. For everyone else, not in New South Wales, there's literally no reason at all you need to understand this. So shut the fuck up. Actually, for most of us here in New South Wales, you don't need to understand it either because a lot of it won't apply to you. 
just look at the listed rules for your location and life situation. You know, not the order, although, you know, journalists might have to read it so they understand what to tell you, but just go to the the summary. It's the same website every day. Just go to it or look at the New South Wales Health Twitter account. See what the new rules are. If it says you're in a local government, you know, a, a designated local government area, and go, oh, I am, I am in Bankstown, Canterbury, I will read this bit. If you're not, move on. Move on. It's nothing to do with you. Oh, but what about, no, no, it doesn't apply to you. Just shut the fuck up and get on with it. Now, before I go any further, let me be clear. I am not making any comment whatsoever about the effectiveness or not of any particular public health measure because I don't know and neither do you. Nor is this a comment in any way comparing what was done in Victoria last year with what's being done in New South Wales this year. I have only my own direct experiences Everyone handles situations differently. Something you might find tough, I might find easy and vice versa. And you know what? That SARS-CoV-2 virus thing is changing. In uh, Science magazine the other day, there was an article titled Evolving Threat. New SARS-CoV-2 variants have changed the pandemic. I mean, they have. Let's just think about that for a bit. The article says that Edward Holmes does not like making predictions. Now, Edward Holmes is one of the people uh, at University of Sydney who knows about viral evolution, and he expected the virus to change. In May last year, five months into the pandemic, he started to include a slide uh, in his talks, which was about his best guesses. He said the virus would probably evolve to avoid at least some human immunity, but it would likely make people less sick over time and there would be little change in its ineffectivity. In short, it sounded like evolution of the virus would not play a major role in the pandemic's near future. Well, now, he says, a year on, I've been proven pretty much wrong on all of it. Novel coronavirus, you see. Well, not completely wrong, as the article says. Uh, The virus did evolve to better avoid human antibodies, but it also became a bit more virulent, so a lot more infectious, causing more people to fall ill. And that, says the article, has had an enormous influence on the course of the pandemic. Many countries, it says, have been forced to change their pandemic planning. And (laughs) here we are, right? Of course, in our responses to the outbreaks, that means, this is me now, not the article, the numbers now work differently. You know, some people are vaccinated. Now, exactly how that changes the numbers is still being worked out too, though, right? We know a person who is vaccinated who gets the virus is much less likely to get sick enough to go to hospital. And if they do go to hospital, they're much less likely to cark it. But we don't know what the exact number is, right? So no matter how much you think you know about all this, because you're 
definitely an epidemiologist with access to the raw data and the modelling software, aren't you? You don't know. I hate to be a state premier right now. Take this um, ABC News story from Friday. Four men were stopped in Jermoyne in uh, uh, Sydney uh, by police at 2am and they told the cops they were out and about for exercise. Hours later, the New South Wales government announced curfews would be in place for Sydney's uh, 12 local government areas of concern from Monday, from tomorrow, as I shout this at you. Now, putting aside four men in Dremoyne out at 2am and I oh, we're exercising, I wonder whether that's like nude sunbathing but we were frightened by a deer. Whatever. We had been hearing how curfews weren't going to happen. Now, some experts, proper experts, not just mouthy cunts like you, were saying that curfews were pointless. Even in the press conference announcing them, Dr Kerry Chant, who's the Chief Health Officer of New South Wales, she said the evidence on curfews stopping COVID spread is mixed, but she wants to leave no stone unturned. Now, people who, who you know, read political and diplomatic language, you know, that when someone says evidence is mixed, that's code for, oh, yeah, we don't fucking know. But she couldn't, she couldn't say that, right? Because her boss, the Premier, had just said we had to have the curfew and you know, she's, she's right there. So here we are in a curfew. Well, those 12 local government areas of concern are in a curfew. I'm not, which is good, although I'm not going anywhere because where the fuck is there to go in the Blue Mountains at two o'clock in the morning? Well, actually, there are places you can go to catch up with other other blokes for, quote, exercise, unquote, but that's that's not the point. Cartoonist John Kudelka, who's been on this pod, as you know, uh, the other day he tweeted, the longer lockdowns go on, the more you'd expect restrictions to get fine-tuned to things that actually work rather than making people's lives even more miserable just for the sake of theatre, and I'm sure that's what's happening. And I thought, yeah, one can certainly be forgiven for forming this impression, but I'm totally sure that every decision is being made in response to science-based modelling rather than fuckwits shouting at each other. Yeah, of course, that's exactly what's happening, isn't it? As Mark Newton said on Twitter, Hi, Mark. Journalists have spent months screeching like idiots at politicians who don't turn screws harder whenever case counts increase. Case counts have increased, so they'll have to screw harder, even if they have to make something up. Spin the wheel of misfortune. I like that. We should have one. What? Ooh, that's another whole segment. Exactly. Look, it's the eternal goddamn screeching for ever harsher, yet ever more pointless measures with ever more diminishing returns, nearly all coming from privileged middle-class people who are really just venting their frustrations. And I get it. No one likes having their lives restricted in this way. I was going to uh, say something in particular about twilight boomers on the long slide to death and the ABC radio audience in particular. I'll save that for another day. What I will say is that this is yet another result of focusing on one rapidly fluctuating output variable 
in this case, the number of new cases discovered in the last 24 hours, when the underlying mechanism is a complex system with multiple delays, right? Remember, if someone is infected with COVID-19, it'll probably take a few days before they show symptoms, if ever. Then they've got to go and get tested, which, you know, if they've got to go to work, they might leave it till the next day or two. Then the test has to come back, and that's been taking up to 48 hours. Then it might take another day or two before the contact tracers can talk to them in detail and find all the places they've been. And then the analysts have to figure out what warnings to issue. Uh, you know, does, does this location matter? Does that one not matter? And then the politicians have to decide on the basis of how all that is affecting the numbers, they've got to figure out what changes they'll make to the structure of society, if any. So how will that work too? Four blokes outside exercising at 2am, okay, that might go, but that means more people are now spending longer inside. A change to how people can move across suburbs will affect all manner of things. So that's another whole cycle before we see whether those changes affected the numbers. Then you've got to add a second cycle uh, because you've got to see whether the changes affect how infected people infect each other. And even then we still don't know because it's not like we've got two copies of Greater Sydney and can run an A-B test to see which measures work best. And then the whole fucking thing is random anyway. <sighs> Meanwhile, of course, we're, we're showing that, as usual, how for all the mythos of larrikin anti-authoritarian Australians, we are a bunch of petty fucking cops. ACT policing in Canberra say their time is being wasted by needless calls, their word. Apparently someone wanted to dob in two children who were jumping on a trampoline in their own backyard, but they weren't wearing masks. And another person called the cops because two people were getting out of their own vehicle in a car park. Um, what? As the, uh, the police spokesperson said, calling us to report two children not wearing masks while jumping on a trampoline in their backyard is a serious waste of our resources. Yes, it fucking is. Caitlin Fitzsimmons wrote a, 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 another, well, both good and alarming piece in the Sun-Herald today. Neighbourhood tensions are rising among Sydney's apartment dwellers as the lockdown enters its ninth week. One mother got complaints for letting her daughters, like, amuse themselves with chalk on the communal driveway. I'd send her more chalk. Uh, the Sun Herald has heard, she also says, multiple accounts of neighbours or strata committees across Sydney writing to residents to complain about children making noise or playing on common property. <sighs> Particularly a problem if you're a tenant rather than, you know, you own your own apartment in that because tenants can just be chucked out because some other cunt in the building thinks children shouldn't be allowed to will exist, really. And then you've got the whole, well, let's let's just say this, racist elements to it. Guardian columnist Jeff Sparrow made the point that if you sat down and planned a way to turn people in marginalised communities into COVID conspiracists, you'd scarcely come up with a better way than this. And in response, uh, Omar Saka, the award 
winning rider. He said, yeah, my mum's response when I asked her if she'd get the vaccine was no. They brought the army into our area, but nowhere else. Something isn't right here. As soon as Morrison opened his stupid mouth to suggest bringing the army in, says uh, Omar Saka, I knew it was the worst move that could be made, and then it materialised, and it's been every bit as damaging to people's trust as I feared. Giving cops a free pass to punish us on top of this is insane. Because, yes, the Commissioner of Police in New South Wales has said... I appreciate there's a lot to take in with the health orders but I am asking you to put community policing to side for a short period of time, for 21 days, I will head this operation. You need to take a strong approach to enforcement. I have said before, if you write a ticket and you get it wrong, I understand and I won't hold you to account for that. We have to shape the behaviour of people to get out of lockdown Uh, That's, sorry for the audio quality, it's from a a kind of leaked video, as they say. But back to you, you citizens of New South Wales and everywhere else in the fucking planet and in Melbourne because you want to have an opinion on someone else's business. It's your whining that's leading to the government having to make changes all the time, leading to more fiddly changes, more pointless lockdown theatre, and then... More whining from you. Picture a brain worm swallowing its own tail. The Aurobora worm. That's you, people. A human circle of brain worms dressed as cops, shouting up each other's asses, spinning faster and faster in an expression of jet propulsion that'd make an orgy of squid jealous. Hakuna Matata, people. The Catherine Wheel of Derp. Hello, I'm Stilgarian. Welcome to The Edict. I saw a great uh, sign the other day, or at least a photograph of this sign. Uh, Someone posted on Twitter. Uh, Sam Wise had posted it on Twitter. One of those blackboards outside a cafe or whatever, and it said... People who think the COVID vaccine will modify their genetic makeup should welcome the opportunity. Uh, um, When I started this podcast back in 2010, I envisaged it uh, very differently. I thought it was going to be posted at nine o'clock in the evening, which is where the title came from. I was going to do it twice a week, but it would, of course, be much shorter Five minutes, maybe ten minutes as a target, but certainly short. It would be a quick monologue about one or two topics in the news that day and then an actual edict, a pronouncement, uh, as if I were God Emperor or something. And it's kind of weird looking back at that because ten minutes is about 1,500 words and that's like longer even than the typical newspaper opinion column, like about double the length. They're usually 750 to 900 words or thereabouts. And then I wanted it to be funny, and that that takes longer to write than writing straight stuff. So, yeah, with, with hindsight, it was pretty stupid of me to imagine that that was at all a reasonable plan. Um, now uh, we're doing 
uh, these, well, not like this one, but we've been doing like the series with guests, it's, you know, around about an hour. And that, that takes like an entire day all up, really, when, when you prepare and because I do overproduce it, I have audio grabs and whatever. I don't just sit down and start talking with them. Uh, there's a few too many podcasts like that in the universe. Um, and I'll keep, I want to keep doing them, but I'm also thinking about how we might evolve this in the future. I love doing the public house forum, you know, panel, live audience thing. Uh, so one day we'll be able to do that again. Um, but would you like maybe short one-off things, you know, maybe even as short as like a minute or two minutes that are, are just not you know, overly produced, but just something that, that's extremely topical. Um, let me know your ideas. Uh, you know where to find me. In the pipeline at the moment, of course, uh, in just a couple of days, the, the actual scheduled episode uh, with Dr Liz Buchanan uh, from the Australian War College talking about Australia and the Antarctic and the geopolitics of all that. Um, you, you, you've heard me talk about that before, but basically, yeah, if you have input into that, I will need it by this Tuesday, uh, the 24th, at, uh, by 3pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. Um, and if you are a supporter of the podcast with uh, 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 trigger words and conversation topics, you know, you know that you need to send those uh, those in because it is, you know, your um, input that makes this uh, podcast possible, especially especially your financial support. Uh, this podcast, this episode, thank you to Dave Flower uh, in Hobart. Wow. Um, thanks, Dave. Uh, he, he used to work for one of the big television production houses and we were we were we had a television program in development for me. Uh, that seems so long ago. It was. It would have been a fucking good show too. I'll tell you about it another time. Uh, also, though, say thanks, Dave. Also, thanks to Iris and Pete Lawler, both uh, long-time listeners, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And of course, it is thanks to everyone who supported the late Winter Series 2021 crowdfunding campaign, which we ran during July. If you would like to be part of that too, just go to the 9pmedic.com slash tip, the 9pmedic.com slash tip, uh, or just tell your friends. Just tell people to listen to the podcast because it's wonderful. Apropos of uh, nothing in particular, uh, the next state election in New South Wales is on Saturday, the 25th of March, 2023. Mm. It's becoming very clear to me that uh, up here in the Blue Mountains, uh, the mountains and winter have long since parted company, not... Um, that the Euro seasons of, you know, four seasons a year uh, ever made much sense in Australia. Uh, in the Blue Mountains today, for example, it's around, what, eight degrees Celsius above the average for this time of year? Um, something like that. I won't explain how I worked that out. But, yeah, it's pretty damn warm for late winter. I would look up the actual uh, Indigenous seasons because there they were kind of considered to be six seasons a year, not four. But where I am um, 
uh, is the lands of the Darug people. Uh, and unfortunately, the only um, list of seasons I could find is for Darawal country. Uh, and that's kind of the southern parts of Sydney, well, you know, from the Sydney Harbour south uh, to the Shoalhaven River, and then kind of up to the foothills of the Blue Mountains, but not the mountains themselves. So that's, as I say, Darawal country, uh, and you can find that I've linked to their uh, six-season calendar. But I don't know what the equivalent is for the Darug people. I mean, po- quite possibly the same six seasons, but with different indicators uh, for, for when each season started. That said, looking ahead uh, to the Euro season called Spring, September to November, according to the Bureau of Meteorology's uh, outlook for that season, rainfall is likely to be above uh, the median for the eastern two-thirds of Australia. So that's kind of good. Uh, maximum temperatures probably about normal, although that's normal compared to an average of 1960 to 1990, 1961 to 1990. Anyway, the, the thir- that 30-year period is the baseline for all of this. Uh, and then we'll see what happens later up. When all this dries out, we are just going to fucking burn. <laughs> Okay, even though this is uh, an unscheduled episode, I'm going to do some trigger words anyway. Maybe just one. We'll see how we go. I'm drawing one out now. God, these are fiddly. They are folded up quite small. Silvano. Hello, Silvano. You're a regular contributor to this, aren't you? Thank you. Your trigger word is community. And wow, that... Let me think about that for a bit. Right, I've given myself uh, two whole minutes to think about that uh, and check a a message that I got about the next thing I've got to do this evening. Um, Community, two things come to mind. One is that community is a very fragile thing. And my little rant at the at the top of this pod kind of emphasised that for me, that so many parts of society in Australia, whether we talk about the nation, whether we talk about each city, city versus city and all of that, have not been coming together as community as well as one might hope. The idea that if you see someone else walking down the street eating an ice cream, and I know this is a thing I've banged on about a bit, but there suddenly, how dare they be outside and not exercising? Or they have food. It's like, what do you know about their life? And when we put a society under stress, a community under stress... How does it change? And we've seen those fractures. We've seen, uh, you know, the structural racism roll out. And, and again, a lot, of, a lot of us have said a few things about that. But we also see it coming together in, 
in more curious ways. I'm thinking of the uh, the Sikh volunteers who, as soon as there's a lockdown happening, are straight out there on the streets cooking food so that you know people who are affected by this can actually have a free meal. And oddly, you know, most of the people they're serving are not part of what you might call the Sikh community who share their common religion and, in many cases, um, ethnic ancestry is, or, or commonality as well. I'm reminded of when, well, when my fat, oh, this is, this is a thing come to, come to my mind, when my dad died, when I was 10 years old, we lived on a dairy farm south of Adelaide, so there was just then my mother and me, 10 years old. My younger brother would have been seven years old. And suddenly, local members of the Seventh-day Adventist church turned up with a whole bunch of food and shopping and, and like, helped us out. And what was amazing, we weren't members of, of their church. In fact, if you ask, um, you know, my mother who grew up as a fairly kind of strict rural South Australian Lutheran, um, the Seventh-day Adventists were, you know, they, they're people from Mars. What do you mean they, they go to church on a Saturday? What weird world is this? And they don't drink alcohol. How? Well, not that she did really anyway much. Um, you know, they don't have tea and coffee. And they make wheat picks. They make breakfast cereal because, of course, the sanitarium um, health food. Uh, company in Australia is is essentially a Seventh Day Adventist church operation, and I'm pausing because that really messed with my mother's head. How 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 could these people that you know she didn't know really, um, you know why did they help out? And that's where you find the real community is. And that's where you, you also find, I suppose, who are the cunts in your, your local area. So thank you for that. <laughs> thank you for that, Silvano. Um, well, I, I'll, yeah, I'll do, I'll do another one. Um, I'm in a very strange mood tonight. This was... Uh, yeah, this was not even going to be a thing, but then I started. <laughs> um, okay, so here's another one from Sheepy. And, you know, quite a few have come in from Sheepy lately because Sheepy has been sending me trigger words. And I get the feeling this is one from... Um, but he's asked me to choose randomly, I'm not sure, because the word is ditch, D-I-T-C-H. And I'm not sure when I, when I see this whether to interpret that as ditch, the, the furrowed you know, hollow in the ground which you might have water in, excuse me, or ditch the verb to throw away, to ditch it, to chuck it. or ditch to jump out of an aircraft. Look, I've never jumped out of an aircraft. 
I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go ditch to throw away because I'm in this this theme of of the COVID times, the quarantine times uh, tonight, and uh, it's interesting to see what we have ditched personally uh, to 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 kind of survive during those times. Um, for some people, ditching. Ditching exercise, and whether whether that's for blokes at two a.m. in Dremoyne exercise, or startled by a deer exercise, or actual exercise. For some people, this is this is having to ditch exercise is such an incredible burden. For others, it's like, all right, I won't go to the gym, or I, I, I won't won't play golf, or whatever it might be. And for others, it's it's other things they ditch. I, I ditched a lot of a lot of my my news coverage. Uh, I mean, I I like so many people started watching all the daily press conferences at the beginning, and then soon decided uh, that is that is just madness. Uh, you will drive yourself insane by spending an hour each day. And some people watch both the New South Wales one and the South Australian ones. Two hours a day filling your brain over and over again with what is generally going to be the same questions and the same answers every time Uh, because there is no more news. I mean, the news is today's magic number is 325 new cases and yesterday's was 278 and tomorrow's is 415. And I mean, do I start a a program where I just kind of like a podcast where I just read out the temperatures that were recorded each day. I mean, it, it, you you know, it's it's something you might need to know, but you know, I don't know what I'm saying there. Um, I I will come back to ditches at another time because I think sheepy that an episode about drainage systems is the kind of thing we should get into. So think back to the. Yeah, maybe maybe we should do trigger words for whole five minute podcasts, uh, and and oh, just, thank you, sheepy. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. This segment is a failure. Mike Green is a physician. And he's a retired U.S. Army major, and he's also the Republican representative for Tennessee's 7th Congressional District, because of course he is. Here's something he said the other day. I think what we have to realize is that as a country, we're not very good at nation building. When you look at the way we've handled and and fighting insurgencies, you look at uh, Vietnam, uh, you compare us to the Brits. The Brits were phenomenal at it. They they, they did a great job in Malaysia, uh, Northern Ireland. We should focus on what we're good at, and that's winning those short wars. We're amazing at it. We concentrate firepower better than any nation in history. And these long, protracted struggles are just not... We're not good at it. We, we, we need to get better at it, maybe, but, but we should not have been 20 years with 20 different strategies. And H.R. And, uh, McMaster does a great job of pointing this out in his book, Battlegrounds. We basically had each year a brand new strategy in Afghanistan. That's no way to do it. So did you, did you catch that bit? 
you compare us to the Brits. The Brits were phenomenal at it. They, they, they did a great job in Malaysia, uh, Northern Ireland. Britain does a does a great job of nation building in in Northern Ireland. America and Australia too, of course, and and Great Britain and NATO. It's going to be doing quite a bit of soul searching over the Afghanistan thing, you know, a twenty year war that you know you don't want me to. Um, uh, to remind you of all of that, but there is something I wanted to to say, and this next bit is going to be pretty damn dark. Uh, and I know, you know, this whole podcast should have a like a continuous content warning. Um, but but this next bit, yeah, maybe skip ahead a few minutes uh, till the next, you know, the next theme, the next sting. Um, because it is something that really hit me uh, the other day. I think we've all seen that photograph of the uh, US Air Force C-17 aircraft taking off from Kabul airport after people mobbed it, people grabbed onto it, and then as the plane climbed away, we saw two people who'd been grabbing onto the plane fall to their death from the aircraft. Within hours of that happening, T-shirts appeared with a version of that image on them saying, Kabul Skydiving Club established 2021. Uh, a friend of mine found at least three variations on that design for sale, and I, I won't link to that. You don't want to buy them. Don't support pricks like that. I wanted to say, though, that we do know who one of those two people uh, was young guy by the name of uh, Zaki Anwari. He was 19 years old and he played for the Afghan national youth football team. And uh, I've linked to a Guardian story with his photo. And he looks, I mean, in a way, it's like any other 19-year-old playing football. Under the Taliban, of course, there will be no sport. You can imagine my why he might uh, want to escape. Um, and yeah, it's it's been confirmed by the the general directorate of physical education and sports of Afghanistan. That's that's who it was. Um, the U.S. Air Force Office of Special Investigation is reviewing everything. They've got the videos, obviously. They also found when the plane landed at uh, Al Udaid Air Force Base in Qatar, they found more human remains in the wheel well of that C-17 aircraft. Uh, they believe at this stage at least five people died in the chaos uh, on the ground. And there are other news reports saying... Uh, that the Taliban is already going door-to-door in Kabul, uh, confiscating musical instruments, because another thing uh, under the Taliban's rather warped view of Islam is that music and dancing uh, is not allowed. Sport is not allowed. Anyway, here we are. Deep breath. I also want to do another shout-out to John Kadelka, actually, um, for Saturday Paper Cartoon this week. Uh, this is very dark. Sometimes dark humour is what we need to do. John Kadelka's cartoon, again, it's uh, 
a cartoon rendering of, of, of that C-17 taking off with the two dots of the people falling down below it. And he circled them in red, arrows pointing to them, saying, didn't drown at sea. Thanks, John. It's really starting to become obvious that this podcast is part of my own uh, therapy, really, isn't it? Let's finish up with a couple of lighter things, please. Yes, sorry about all that. Uh, Matthew Galea on the Twitter says, Guys, I've finally found my dream career, distance energy healing. So here's something he, he found on the line. Distance energy healing. How does distance energy healing work, says this promo. We book an appointment together, and I recommend five to ten minutes prior to that time you find a quiet space, lay down and close your eyes, go into a meditation-like state, open your mind and just prepare to receive. You could listen to meditation music if silence is a little uncomfortable for you. It is for me. Then I'll text you minutes before and let you know we're ready to go. The work is done completely energetically. There is no phone call or Skype session, etc. I tune into your energies and focus on your seven chakras starting at the top. Just move through each one until getting to the base. Do a final all-over cleanse and finish up. I will pull a tarot card at the end for guidance. Throughout this process, I can receive words or sentences that are messages intended for you. Or sometimes I get different sensations, etc. For you, you may experience different feelings, sensations, relaxation, or essentially you may just fall asleep. It's possible you will experience things afterwards, like energy shifts or some emotional things coming up to the surface for clearing. I will send you voice notes after to tell you of anything I received that's meant for you. I can tailor the healing to a bit, be a bit more specific, like we can set an intention to say, be more focused or clarity around a particular subject, etc. But I highly recommend just getting a general balance and healing first. This is beautiful. And this is the perfect job during lockdown, right? You just book an hour where you lie down and this other person doesn't call you, doesn't message you, doesn't doesn't do anything, doesn't connect with you. They just they just sit around for the hour as well. And at the end if they receive anything, they'll they'll send you some notes. And you can guide them, but yeah, no, it's better just to have a general That is fucking beautiful. And it's called distance energy healing. I am in awe of that scam. And the other thing I wanted to say is I have uh been watching a lot more, well, I won't say television, but I mean television series and other things while uh, in lockdown, not not 
kind of watching live television very much at all. I haven't done that for, for years apart from quite specific programs. And a few – I'll mention one, and I'm kind of late to this um, because Andrew P. Street was late to this, friend of the pod as well. He wrote a review of an American show called Superstore. Now, they've been, there's been six series of this. It started in 2015, right? We're, we're both really late to this show. But he wrote in The Guardian – this is Andrew P. Street wrote in The Guardian – it's tricky for a comedy to deal with real-world issues without disappearing up its own woke hole. It helps that this one is also gloriously stupid. And yeah, yeah, it is. I love the term disappearing up its own woke hole, Andrew. That is lovely. Uh, he also writes, uh, the show was created by Julian Spitzer, uh, who's one of the writers on the American version of The Office, and that's the same writer's room out of which came Michael Schur, who created The Good Place, Parks and Recreation, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and so on. And Andrew says that Superstore shares that show's commitment to diverse ensemble casts and a breakneck laughs per minute rate. This is true. Uh, I won't go through the actors in it, but there's there's some names. Um, it is just... I watched the first one or two and there was like a couple of lines when, oh, can can that work? Um, but I soon got over that because that was just one little net that I was straining at. And I've, I've really enjoyed them. It is silly. And this is coming from me. I'm not normally into American sitcoms. Um, but this one, this one is great. It's called Superstore. And here's just one grab to give you an idea of, of the writing. This bit could have gone really bad, but I don't think it does. I think it's brilliant. And it's when they're, the staff are discussing how they might be able to save money in the store to keep a much-loved older employee. Okay, if we got rid of break room coffee, we would save another $300 a year. Great, let's take it. That would put us over 8000 Hey, you guys taking the coffee? If we don't find enough budget cuts to cover her salary, Lori is going to fire Myrtle. Oh. What? Kidding? Wait, why would she fire Myrtle? Nobody knows. It's just random. It's because she's a bitch. Lori, not Myrtle. Please. Jeff did all kinds of crappy things, and no one ever called him a bitch. When Jeff changed the vendors for the vending machine, you called him a... Yeah, well, that's because the vending machine didn't have any talkies. Sorry, if Lori is being a bitch, wouldn't the truly sexist thing be for me to not call her a bitch? No, that's not the point. Actually, I think I kind of agree with Marcus. What? Yes! Red Pill Brothers! No, I just mean if we had true equality, you could call out women for doing something terrible when they're doing something terrible. I like being a bitch. See, there's that word again. Maybe let's not Don't. use that. Yeah, only women can use the word bitch because we took that word back, right, lady? No, bitch. The gays took that from you. Okay, I think we're off track. To be honest, I'm not sure what on track would look like. Hey, if Hitler was a woman, would you be defending Hitler? No, obviously not. What if Oprah hosted the Holocaust? I'm not sure one hosts a Holocaust. Don't mansplain her. Okay. I'm not in favor of any Holocaust, but if there was a Holocaust, then yeah, Oprah's who I would want to host it. And I actually agree with that. Mm -hmm. Me too. Yeah. 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 That's a really good one. I think we solved sexism, guys. 
that's from Superstore, which uh, all six series are currently on Binge in Australia, and the first five at least are on Netflix. You can probably find it where you are too. And that's all the edict for now. Uh, There's another episode in just a couple of days with Dr Liz Buchanan. You already know all about that. And then on Tuesday, the 31st of August, the last day of winter, a live-streamed episode. Uh, Watch your email and watch the tweets for exactly when that'll be. Well, 9pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. Until then, I'm still Gerian. Wash your hands. The 9pm edict is a Skank Media production. Sorry.